You're listening to episode 240 of the FitzPro podcast. We are skipping the intro today and going straight into the birth story of baby number two, which was a baby girl. My first baby was a son. I have several podcasts about my first pregnancy and postpartum experience. So go to my blog. You can search pregnancy, you can search postpartum, and you'll be able to find those episodes there. Today, we are going to go over my prep for the scheduled C-section that I had. We won't go over necessarily why I had it because I have a full 23-minute YouTube video on that. You can go watch that as well on YouTube. Just look for Annie Miller, Annie Miller Concepts. You will find me. You will find that video. I also did a video recently for YouTube on my pregnancy fitness experience with baby one versus baby two. So go check that out as well. I believe that dropped last week if my timing is correct in my brain, which I am only three weeks postpartum uh, as of yesterday at the time of recording this. So (laughs) LOL to my brain working. We are going off of some notes here. I don't have a full script written for the podcast. Um, I don't. I just normally have notes. So This might be long. I will try to keep it brief and as kind of organized as possible because I will be going over several different things, lessons, uh, changes from my first experience to my second experience, the actual birth story, prep for the hospital, what I brought. Um, Like I have an essentials list that I will share with you and I will make sure to put that in the show notes for you. Um, And then the postpartum experience so far, sleep, nursing, fitness, recovery, All of that is going to be covered today. So without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, so like I said, no intro. I will start this with a disclaimer that I am strictly just sharing my experience. I am not even a pre and postnatal coach. It's not an expertise of mine. Uh, I have taken a certification for pre and postnatal, but it was for my own education in my own experiences. So everything I share today is not me saying that anyone should do what I did. It's not even me saying that if your circumstances are similar to mine, that you should do what I did. Your hospital is different. Your life is different. Your partner is different. Your You are totally autonomous over the decisions that you make in your labor and delivery and pregnancy and postpartum experiences. And that is something that I am a very big advocate for, which is why I share this because I've seen One, I've seen as a consumer how helpful it was to hear other people's stories and, again, not even make the decisions that they were making, but like hear the questions that they were asked and just know that certain things are on the table or off the table. You're just not aware. You don't know what you don't know. And so that's why I'm sharing, because maybe you don't know something that I can bring to light through my own experiences. Um, I talked about this in my pregnancy one versus pregnancy two fitness YouTube video that, like I said, dropped last week and in my pregnancy announcement video and podcast, all of those will be linked for you in the show notes. Don't worry about that, but just know that I am referring to the fact that my pregnancies and postpartum experiences were very close together meaning that the births are almost exactly 13 months. They're two days short of 13 months apart. So in 23 months, under two years, I was only not pregnant for three and a half of those months. Let me say that again. For 23 months straight, I was only not pregnant for three and a half of those months. How fun is that for us? How fun. 
And postpartum, though I absolutely had some level of amnesia, was very fresh in my mind when I got pregnant with baby number two. I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do differently, what I wanted to do better the second time around in all of the phases, in pregnancy, in prep, in um, the postpartum experience, in nursing, in nutrition, in fitness, in Uh, Things I was going to do differently with the baby as far as like sleep and approaches that we were learning about in the early postpartum versus things that we already knew about. So you enter the second postpartum period with just so many more tools in your toolbox, which has to be my favorite part so far. There's just so much less overwhelm because you have reps under your belt, or that is how I personally feel. So as I said, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do differently in all of the phases, what I wanted to do better the second time, while also acknowledging that there would, of course, be different challenges because there just are. There always are. No matter how many kids you have, there's going to be a new challenge because they're all individual humans and you're in a different state of life and all the things. So we're going to start with some lessons and changes. I just have some bullet points here that I'm going to touch on. So pre-birth lessons from baby number one that I wanted to be more proactive with for baby number two were that I made a four-week postpartum pelvic floor appointment ahead of having baby number two, knowing that I could change the time and the date around naps or health or whatever, but it was on the books. I made the appointment ahead of time for a four-week postpartum pelvic appointment. I called them. I said, what's the earliest I can come in? They said, really, there's no point before four weeks because I want um, an internal exam and they can't do that ethically. Obviously, I'm still healing until four weeks. So I made the four-week appointment. Again, I can change the time. I can change the date. I can move it if I need to, but it's on the books. I don't have to research what clinic I'm going to or who's in my network or whatever. I also made a lactation consultant appointment for one week and also at the actual hospital. So when I called the lactation consultant, which is the same place that I got the pelvic floor appointment at, I actually asked the pelvic floor office, hey, do you guys have a lactation consultant that you suggest or that's in your network, uh, network as in like, um, network of resources, not insurance. And they said, actually one of our pelvic floor PTs is a lactation consultant. So we can just set you up with her for both appointments. And I was like, grand, she's fantastic. Her name is Geetha. She is at uh, pinnacle pelvic floor. If you are, um, in, in the area, if you're in Vancouver, Washington, go to Geetha at Pinnacle. She's awesome. So I made that. Uh, They also offered her to come to the hospital because bless the hospital and bless their staff and bless the lactation consultants. I wanted an outside source that I trusted because of my experience with baby number one, where we didn't find his tongue tie and all of the issues with his feeding. Oh my gosh, there's just so many. It's not legit PTSD, but like I didn't realize how much of a struggle it was until having baby number two and seeing how easy feeding could be. And then I was like, wow, I was in the fucking trenches with baby number one, Um, the things you learn. So anyway, I wanted a on-site like day of birth or within three days look at the assessment of the baby's mouth. She did that. She stayed for an hour. She was extremely helpful. She was 
just such a great presence to have uh, in the hospital. As you know, you have like people coming in every freaking 30 minutes to an hour. All of the people that come in after a birth is ridiculous. Um, but I had a great experience. She gave me really good feedback on uh, baby number two's latch on different positions that I could try. It just, you know, gave me confidence going home. So I made that appointment for one week as well. Uh, made sure that they do house visits, all of the things. I watched my C-section mobilization and compression videos and made a timeline in my phone and my planner, knowing that my brain would just be like combobulated after giving birth and in that early postpartum period. So I set the objects out for one week postpartum to start using straight out of the shower before bed. So a cotton headband, a rough washcloth, and a Q-tip were the things that I kind of chose knowing that I could change things up depending on like what sensations happened. I could use a piece of like silk or satin if I wanted to add that in. But the point is I was prepared to do those things and make it easy. Make the things easy in postpartum because nothing is easy in postpartum. Um, I also at the three to six week mark, which is where I am now, I said here, depending on the healing mobilization around, not on the scar, at least one inch away from the scar, I have started doing that actually as of yesterday and it feels really good. So, I mean, it doesn't feel it's working. It's doing what it should do. So, and then at 12 weeks, I would actually start, uh, you know, mobilizing on the scar itself with my hands. And that is also something that the pelvic floor specialists will help with at my four week appointment is feeling on my arm or somewhere else on my body, the depth at which I should be applying pressure to on and around my scar at different times. So I bought a course through mama stay fit. I am also following Alessandra Sputnik's, um, postpartum program. And she has videos on, scar tissue mobilization as well for a C-section. She had a C-section with her first. Um, so I watched all of those. I know what I'm doing with that, but I do want, it would be nice to have a professional actually put their hands on me and show me and give me that affirmation. So I made those appointments ahead of time, which felt really, really good because in the early postpartum period with baby one, I was <laughs> in a state uh, having to research sleep courses, feeding courses, lactation consultants, pelvic floor specialists, doing all of that research in between a baby that was feeding over four hours a day because of his tongue tie that I didn't know existed. So very different experience this time. If there's one piece of advice I can give new moms, fuck the nursery, okay? Fuck the nursery. Do your research. Get prepared for the postpartum period. <laughs> um, and it can be both. If you have time, it can be both. But I would definitely, for your mental sanity, like li literally your mental sanity, prioritize education around the postpartum period. You won't be able to mitigate every issue that will come up, but make a lactation consultant appointment. Even if things are going great, there's still just a wealth of knowledge that you can learn. Make a pelvic floor appointment. Do the things, please. The nursery can wait. And I know people say that, but like... I'm going to say it too. And I have two beautiful nurseries. <laughs> so as far as the pelvic floor recovery, I began pelvic floor breathing in the hospital bed. So side lying on my back, seated, not waiting until six weeks to feel 
autonomy in my body again was very important to me. Mind you, I did not have a vaginal birth. The first time I did push at a 10, so I didn't have a vaginal birth, but I had a lot of swelling and trauma to my pelvic floor in my first labor experience. So it would not even have been advised to start pelvic floor exercises or engaging those muscles that early. Please let me be clear. This time I knew that the pelvic floor still uh, experiences stress and stretching and pressure in pregnancy, whether you have a vaginal birth or you have a C-section. And there are tissues that are in relationship with the pelvic floor that experience trauma in a C-section, mainly all of those in your core, the seven layers that they cut through. So for me, it made sense to begin the breathing and pelvic floor awareness and just regaining that in the hospital bed. So just know that that made sense for me, wouldn't make sense for everyone. Uh, But I do know that being more proactive with my breathing, my movement, the small, the little, small, minute things that seem so silly, it's literally just breathing. I wanted to do those every day and I wanted to be diligent with them. As my friend Lydia says, almost as a placeholder and a habit holder for getting back into more intentional and intense movement. It's not that, you know, these are make or breaking my progress, which it might be that they are, but it was just that this was kind of my workout, if you will. And I wanted to still have that for myself, for my autonomy. Now, I still wanted a gentle C-section as possible. Make sure to ask your hospital about that because there's a span of things that hospitals offer and it is specific to the hospital. Like my hospital doesn't do full clear sheets they have like the top part clear. So my husband can see through like if he's sitting at my head, but I can't see through and then they drop it down when they're taking the baby out so I can see. But I knew that I wanted like as gentle as possible. I wanted that for my C-section. I have heard of people being able to like help take their baby out. Now from a sanitation standpoint, I'm not sure if that's still allowed because the OR is supposed to be extremely, 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 extremely sterile and clean. And that doesn't make sense to me that that would be allowed, but maybe it is somewhere. So just ask the questions. In postpartum, I wanted to improve my nutrition. I've talked about this across many different platforms. Main focuses were higher protein as my main concern, high protein, high collagen. So taking a collagen supplement of some kind, whether that came through bone broth, which I've been taking or a like vital proteins collagen supplement. I have been teeter tottering between both of those since the time I was in the hospital. High fiber intake. We're going to talk about poop for a second. My first bowel movement with baby number one, I legitimately thought that every organ in my body was going to spew through my incision. I was terrified. It hurt so bad. I was determined to not have that happen. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I was also told by a medical professional that you can't OD on stool softeners. So take that shit like nobody's business, no pun intended. And I did. Now I was given a different stool softener this time that was way more effective. I also was drinking copious amounts of water, electrolytes, and high fiber. So I don't know if it was the stool softener that worked the magic this time, or if it was the fiber, the water, and the whatever else I just said. I don't know which one it was, but it was a breeze this time. Like two days after C-section, had a bowel movement, soft serve, soft serve. It was fantastic. No pain. Great. So 
that was something that I was determined to have as an experience that was different from the first time to the second time. Moving on. Those are the lessons and the changes. Those are some of my focuses. That's how I prepared ahead of time. The birth story. First note, I started getting Braxton Hicks at 37 weeks with baby number two, which I did not experience Braxton Hicks with baby number one at all. Once cramps started, like period light cramps started with baby one, I was in pre-labor and had the baby 72 hours later. So when I felt cramps three weeks early, I was like, excuse me, what's going on here? It was very concerning. Now I knew that they were probably just Braxton Hicks, but I was like, this is different. This is different. Um, my C-section was, they, uh, fizzled out by the way, didn't have them again. C-section was scheduled for December 21st at 7.30 a.m. We had to arrive at 5.30 a.m. LOL to entering the postpartum period feeling rested and fed. People say this about a scheduled C-section. I'm going to set it straight, (laughs) okay? A more accurate statement is entering postpartum not completely fatigued from labor, but still fasted. You're still fasted. I couldn't eat for 12 hours beforehand. So maybe, you know, someone who was in labor for 36 hours and hadn't eaten, like, holy shit, that's different than a 12-hour fast. But I, my sleep was terrible. I mean, I think I got like three hours and 40 minutes of sleep before my C-section. I was not rested. I was not well-fed. Was it, you know, way better than going through labor and then having a C-section? Yes. It just, I think, is a little bit more romanticized than it needs to be, or it was on my like receiving end of that information. I digress. It was better, way better than round one overall. In terms of the procedure itself, I was not nervous at all. All the nurses kept saying stuff about like, oh, you're probably feeling nervous. And I was like, I am not. Do most people feel nervous about this? I do not feel nervous at all. And I don't, I don't know. I didn't get an answer about that. Maybe y'all can chime in um, on Instagram or something like that. Let me know if you if you had a, a C-section. Were you nervous going into the second C-section and why? I would be interested. Um, I felt like I trusted the staff. I knew what to expect. I had a plan and it was probably going to go more to plan this time than the first time. So to me, I just wasn't nervous about it. It more so felt weird. I told Nate on the way to the hospital, I was like, this is so weird. I feel like I'm going to like pick up an Amazon package, but they have to cut through like seven layers of my body to get the package. That's what it feels like. Like there's something very non-biological about a scheduled C-section. There is obviously something much more biological about waiting for labor to happen, about being in that weird space where you could have the baby today or you could have the baby in four weeks from now. That window is strange, but it's very biological. And with the scheduled C-section, you're missing that. You're like, which is lovely if you're a type A planner like me, like I knew when baby was going to come. And I also knew if if baby did come early, we would just call and have the C-section early. But it was a very strange experience driving to the hospital being like, I'm going to be holding my baby in three hours from now. (laughs) That's you, You shouldn't know that. You know what I mean? It was just, it was weird. So like I said, in terms of the procedure, I was not nervous at all. The team was amazing. I had immense trust in my OB who did my first emergency C-section, but holy hell, it was so much more painful for me the second time around. And I know a lot of people say it's not the actual procedure. That's what I'm talking about. So I had an epidural the first time and a spinal this time. 
if you don't know the difference there, an epidural stays in you and has a constant drip that they can monitor. They can regulate the administration of the medicine. A spinal is, and I hope I'm getting this right. A spinal is an in and out procedure. This was my experience anyway. So I hope I'm, I'm defining those correctly. I asked the medical staff before doing this podcast. Well, my spinal metabolized way too fast, like way too fast. It should have lasted for 18 hours. Mine was fading on the table. I was experiencing far more cramping and pressure than I should have, according to the anesthesiologist who was super kind. He gave me all of the drugs that he could to help, but he was like, this is not normal. I am so sorry. You should not be in this much pain. And so I felt again, very taken care of, but I was like, "Uh this is not like the first time. First time I didn't feel literally anything. And maybe that was because I was out of it from laboring. Maybe that's because of oxytocin that I had going through my body because of labor, which is a good hormone, happy hormone, natural painkiller, better than morphine. So yeah, that that was unexpected, uh, but we dealt with it. And Nate took pictures and the beginning of the procedure was super chill. They talked through everything that they were doing, which I asked them to do, but they said they do anyway. And I requested every anti-nausea drug to every professional that came in to triage, like pre-op, every professional in the room, I was like, anti-nausea, give me literally everything you can legally give me in terms of anti-nausea. I did not puke on the table, God bless. I did not get the shakes this time, God bless. That was the hardest time for me. And maybe that's why I didn't feel pain the first time too. Maybe it was the epidural. Maybe it was that I was convulsing on the table and puking. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but the pressure and the cramping didn't kick in. The pain that I felt basically didn't kick in until baby girl was already out and on my chest, which is great. They did delayed cord clamping and I requested that they wait to weigh her, which I appreciated that they gave me this option because I didn't think about it. They asked, you know, hey, we, we weigh her. We do like a heel prick. We do all this stuff take her measurements, blah, blah, blah. Do you want us to bring her to your chest first for an hour and then do that stuff? Do you want uh, us to just, you know, do all of that and get it out of the way and then you can have her? And they kind of said it like they prefer the second one, like they want to do all their stuff and get it out of the way and then hand her to me. And I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You will put my baby on my chest immediately. (laughs) So they did. They did delayed cord clamping. She came to my chest. Uh, She calmed down immediately upon being put on my chest. And that biological phenomenon is always so fascinating and so cool to me. Like, I, it's just amazing. The cramping though, got to the point. So while, when they brought her to my chest, they were stitching me up, right? They were, um, I actually learned that when they, well, when my hospital does a C-section, they wipe, they turn your uterus inside out and wipe the uterus clean of a lot of the blood and residue, like you're still going to have where your placenta was attached to and that has to heal and your uterus still has to go back down and you will have postnatal bleeding. But I had such little bleeding this time. And one of the reasons they said is because they clear out so much of that in the procedure, which I didn't know. So very cool. Don't know if everybody does that, but that's what my hospital and doctor did. So that cramping got to where I thought I was going to puke from the pain, not from the drugs, but from the pain. And so I was like, somebody needs to take the baby. I'm going to puke. And I didn't puke. But like I said, it got to the point where I needed to hand her back to who I thought was the nurses and breathe through the pain. But 
they actually, Nate had the baby and Nate had switched spots with a nurse. My eyes were closed because I was breathing through the pain. And it was actually a nurse behind me that was holding my hand <laughs> and talking to me. Uh, once she started talking, I was like, oh, that's not Nate. That's a nurse. <laughs> and Nate had the baby over in the corner. So I was happy that the baby at least went to dad. And that once they got my pain under control, obviously baby came back to me. Uh, they just took that time to weigh her and do all that stuff that they said they were going to do. So the pain was was nothing. It wasn't fun to say the least, but it was nothing compared to you know, going through physiological labor for hours and pushing it a 10 and all of that, like I did with baby number one, it was just unexpected. I did not expect that level of pain with um, a spinal and please know that's not normal. That is not normal. The spinal wore off. It metabolized way too fast. I don't know why. Um, but if I ever had a C-section again, I would request, and they told me this, would request that it was via an epidural, not via a spinal in case that happened again. Because the spinal wore off, I was put on an IV pain uh, IV drip of pain meds until that was under control. So after about five hours post-op or so, I could take orals and they removed the IV. That is really the birth story in a nutshell. Obviously less eventful than baby number one, but a little different than I expected. So I wanted to share. I feel like everybody just says, oh yeah, scheduled C-section is super easy. And nobody actually talks about like what goes on. That's what went on in mine. Nate was out of the room until they were literally ready to cut me open. They brought him in. I said, Hey, you know, he has a camera. He wants to get the lighting right. And I said, I know that might sound silly, but you know, it's still the birth of our child and we want to capture it. So if you could let him in as early as possible to get his lighting right, um, that would be awesome. And they totally did. They were super kind. Um, the staff actually offered this time, which I thought was really cool, to take a picture of Nathaniel and I with the baby. Uh, we don't have any photos of the three of us from our first uh, labor experience because it was an emergency C-section. It was hectic. But this time, I love having that photo and the staff offered to take that. So I would say too, if you are wanting photos, like ask the staff to take a picture of you and your significant other, if you have a partner uh, with you and the baby, because that's obviously something special too. Needless to say, I absolutely adore the photos that Nathaniel got. And it seems that you all did too on Instagram. I did not realize how healing it would be for so many mamas who have never seen a representation of their labor experience when they had a C-section, whether it was emergency or not. I took photos or I had photos taken via Nathaniel of my emergency C-section and this C-section. Like I said, I wanted pictures of my birth no matter what. We always see vaginal births captured or home births captured and things like that. But I personally have never seen, I had never seen a C-section captured until my own two procedures. If you missed those photos, I will put them on the blog that uh, is associated with this episode, the show notes, but also they're currently in my baby two IG highlight if you want to go look at them right now. My DMs were flooded, so just know that if I didn't respond to you, if I did respond to you, I saw all of them. Um, I might not have responded, but just know that like so many women feel the same as you about your experience. And I really do encourage you to still have photos taken if you are having a C-section. It's no less of a labor experience than a vaginal birth, and it's still your baby coming into the world. Capture it if you can. As far as baby weight, baby girl was 8'5", but really more like 7'13", due to having an inflated 
birth weight of a C-section. So C-section babies don't go through the birth canal. They don't get squeezed. All of the gunk um, and fluid inside their lungs doesn't come out. So C-section weight is technically inflated. She was a shorty at only 20 inches long. To me, that's a short baby. I believe average is like 21 inches. Her brother was nine and a half pounds, 23 inches with a 15 inch head, LOL. Why he wasn't coming out of my vagina. So she feels like a dink to us. She feels so fragile, even though she is a very average baby. (laughs) Her brother was just a freaking linebacker. And so that's what we're used to. That's our only experience. In terms of hospital prep, I pretty much nailed what I brought to the hospital with baby number one, to be frank. With baby number two, it was even more dialed in due to it being a scheduled C-section. Like I really knew what to expect. I'm not going to read through the list here. I will put the list in the show notes for you. I have essentials for the mom as well as what to pack for your newborn. So go look at those. Lesson here, take everything from the hospital. I personally like to bring all of my own things, but then not use them if I don't have to or if I don't want to. I like to have all my own stuff as an option, but use what the hospital has to give you. Technically, you should be able to arrive to the hospital with nothing and be taken care of and have all of the essentials that you need. Okay, keep that in mind. Postpartum. Obviously, sleep is life. If you know me, sleep is life. We know this. Sleep is life for mom. Sleep is life for dad. Sleep is life for the babies. We believe that in our household. We really enjoyed the sleep training that we did with baby number one through taking care of babies. So we knew we wanted to, on some spectrum, implement those independent sleep skills with baby number two. Baby number one was in his crib with me in the rocking chair by week two for a multitude of reasons. He always slept well in his own space, like in the bassinet. I then transitioned to the room connected to his, which is now baby girl's nursery. It's a Jack and Jill. And eventually to the other side of the house where our bedroom is. So it is quite a jaunt from our bedroom to the kids' bedrooms. That takes me a while to decide like, yes, I am going to go to that side of the house and sleep there and not be running back and forth versus like right now, if I'm sleeping in the same room or connected to them, it's not that big of a deal to like pop the binky back in and go back to bed. So it's the little things. Our baby number one actually hated being in a carrier or snuggling or being close to you. Um, You never know what you're going to get with these babies, but the baby's rooms are connected to each other. So that was probably my biggest concern with sleep was how to navigate both of them sleeping without waking one another up if one of them did I mean, newborn is going to wake up, but in case big brother had to wake up, he's been sleeping through the night, mostly despite regressions and things like that since like four months. So I didn't want his cry though to wake her up or her cry to wake his up, him up. So the plan was me to sleep in the guest bed, baby number two's nursery from the get go, or when I would be bed sharing with her for probably the first week to two weeks mainly depending on my movement. So that's what it was depending on was my C-section recovery, me not having to get out of bed, walk, carry anything, etc. And then transition baby two to her crib after a few weeks, me leaving the room eventually. I am three weeks postpartum at the time of recording this and here's how that went. So I bed shared baby one for one week and then started having her nap in her crib so I could monitor her Once that happened, I was like, yeah, we're doing it. 
And uh, oh, I slept actually, Nate and I decided to switch. So in case of her waking baby number two up or baby number one up, we were actually like, I'm going to sleep in our bedroom on this side of the house. Nate is going to sleep in baby two's nursery. And then once I started having her nap in her crib and seeing that she wasn't waking baby number one up because they were napping at the same time, I was like, screw it. I'm going to go in the, I'm going in that bedroom. We have now been in her room for two weeks. She's been sleeping in her crib. It's the best. For me, it is the best. It is a game changer. The room is set up so well in terms of having a rocking chair for feeding ergonomics, the changing table with the warm wipes so she doesn't cry during diaper changes, the white noise, the soft red light that we have in there. It's just, it's primed. The space is primed and moving in there after one week was so nice for me personally. And being able to sleep in a bed alone while watching her on the monitor is clutch for sleep quality for me. I have so much more angst when she's in the bed with me. It just lowers my sleep quality automatically. So if she can be in her crib and I can monitor her from my phone, you know, walk three feet to her when I need to do something and I can get back into bed and not worry about moving or anything like that. It's just for me personally, that is the tea. That is the best. So that is where we're at with sleep. We're implementing things sooner with her than we did with baby number one, as far as um, a binky and getting her on a better eating schedule because she can. So eating and sleeping go together with babies. And because baby number one had such a difficult time eating with his tongue tie, his sleep wasn't ideal. And her sleep can be much more close to the ideal because she can get a full feed. And then sleep for the amount of time that she quote unquote should be sleeping for their babies, whatever. But it's a smoother transition to sleep and feeding for baby number two so far, which has been lovely. For fitness and recovery, this is the last thing we're going to go over. I mentioned my plan for pelvic floor, breathing, C-section recovery, as well as nutrition earlier. So far, it's been the most helpful for me to get into the gym, to do my walking, to do my rehab exercises. I did a lot of it in the house for the first week and a half, and then I was like, I need my own time in my own space. And not recovering from a near vaginal delivery and that trauma to the pelvic floor has been probably the best part of all of this. Yeah, the best part of all of this. I was so much more mobile after like five days post-C-section this time. And I can feel and engage like very well feel and engage everything in my core, everything in my pelvic floor. I think obviously my appointment will tell me the truth in a week from now, but physically recovery is something I am very excited to dive deeper into this time around because of how good I feel this early on. Now I did have to, I still have to, like I told Nathaniel yesterday, I need like two days of rest. I've been doing too much because I can feel it. I can feel it in my back. I can feel it in my incision. I can feel it in my pelvic floor. All of that still has to recover. And because I feel good, I'll do more, which all of the second time C-section mamas told me this would happen. So having to keep that under control has been the hardest part. The first time Post C-section, I followed Mama Stay Fit. This time, like I said, I am following SD Evolution, loving it so far. And I'm way more consistent with my rehab in the early days. I need to be more consistent with the mobilization of the scar, particularly. But like I said, I started that and it's underway. 
So in case this is my last C-section that I do have, I want to be sure that I like really, really, really do a good job of mobilizing the scars. So that is a top priority for me. We'll see how the incision heals. And if my more consistent mobilization makes a difference this time compared to last time, I will say my doctor also stitched me up differently because my scar healed like a keloid. She did normal stitches last time. This time she did staples and she decided that on the table based on how my scar looked from the first time. So I thought that was really cool that she was like, oh, well, it looked like that this time. It should heal differently or it looked like that last time. It should heal differently this time if we choose a different uh, mending method, if you will. So we did dissolvable staples. We'll see how it heals. So far, the scar looks way better than it did the first time. So hopefully that continues. All in all, I feel better after two babies in literally all areas than I did after one baby. Who would have freaking thought? That is what I have for you today. It's so hard to compile this all into one episode. I hope I did okay. I hope this was helpful in some way, shape, or form. Maybe I will do something on Instagram to answer more questions or do like a follow-up episode. We shall see. Until next time, I am Annie Miller. Thank you so much for tuning into the Fitzpro Podcast.